0: This week on Punch Mountain, men will literally go to prison for two years and work their way up through an organized crime family in order to take down corruption in the police force before going to therapy. We're watching The Raid 2.
1: Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, a podcast where we review action movies one by one, discover the definitive ranking of action movies not determined by us but by the action gods themselves look we didn't put the mountain there we just climb it my name is mac blake i am joined as always by mr david hotta david good to talk to you it is good to talk to you as well uh, that's a <laughs>
0: what great energy to start up a podcast hi mac how are you
1: i am doing uh i'm doing okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm recovering from a little uh, bit of a bug, which I believe last episode, you were the one who was a little under the weather, correct? That's right. And
0: now I'm 100%. And I sound great. Look amazing. Will our <laughs> will our pipes
1: ever be in, in harmony, David? <laughs> yeah. I hope so. We've got a benefit single coming up for Christmas. That's right. It's called... Dracula. You know, it's funny you should say Dracula, because in this movie, there's a club scene, and it sounds like... The song they're dancing to should be called, We Couldn't Quite Get the Rights to the Dragula Remix.
0: I was very into that club scene. Well, okay, <laughs> we we got it. We tarry no further getting into uh, this week's episode,
1: which is The Raid 2. Oh, David, I guess where you're from, you call it Raid 2. Here, we call it Raid 2 Retaliation. Or no, wait, Raid... Bengaru? What is the name? It's Retaliation. Oh, it's also barandal Berendal. <laughs> Bit Baird Bengaru. <laughs> Somehow, I bet that's racist. I don't know. It's some sort of. I'm gonna look up word Bengaru later, and it's like that's the dirtiest thing you ever could have said. You fucking hate monger. We've already spent three minutes of recording time to cover 15
0: seconds of script time. <laughs> David, opening thoughts. What do you think about Raid Two? I'm I'm really excited to talk about Raid Two. I I like this movie more and more uh, every time I watch it. Look, we're just the arbiters of Punch Mountain. We're just the ones who sort of communicate out uh, what Punch Mountain's rankings are. I was not expecting this to get so controversial so quickly. Uh, We're already in episode two, and I think there's going to be a shakeup, Uh, maybe at the top, maybe in the middle, maybe at the bottom. Who knows? Uh, Probably at the top. That's why I'm building it up so much. Uh, But I'm very excited to talk about Raid 2 with you, Mac. How are you feeling about Raid
1: 2? What are your opening thoughts going into it? Raid 2 rules. But here's the thing. I've not seen First Raid. And so I was going to this thing. Uh, I, was, I was a a dummy, right? hmm But there's so much to love in this movie. There's some really awesome fighting, some fun camera work, some hot car action, some unknown acting. So, David, you mentioned this is Punch Mountain where we, look, we don't decide these rankings. The rankings are there. So the idea of it being a shakeup, it's not a shakeup. They're always, you know, this is the universal truth that we're telling people. And I'm glad, David, here's another case where I'm glad that this is not like a podcast where we're like given our rankings on stuff. You know what I mean?
0: I do. I do. I, You know, I worry about the the outpouring uh, from the community at large once they hear this. You know, I don't want to see people walking down the street with tiki torches in our name. Uh, Not again. Not after last time. Uh, I just, I don't
1: want to cause any controversy, but you know, shoot the messenger, that sort of thing. Yeah, David, because the, the punch mountain rankings when all is said and done, it's not my opinion or your opinion or my favorite, or your favorite it is the ranking. And, and I'm glad too, because I watched this movie on Pluto TV, David. Hmm. That's yeah. I was stopped like every three minutes for commercials about uh, the next iPhone or uh, living life with Crohn's disease and shout out to all my cronies out there, by the way, that's tough. That's a tough break. Let's say I gave this movie a poor ranking. Somebody out there might be like, oh, well, uh, Mac, you didn't see this movie how it was intended to be seen. You watch this movie split up over three nights on Pluto TV. I, you know, <laughs> I don't think you're, you are you know, let's put an asterisk by your rating. But again, it's not our rating, folks. It's the rating. Okay? We're not fucking around here. We're not
0: wasting our goddamn time on takes. Yeah, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day how I ingest it. All right? We're just reporting this shit, pal. This is the Bible, except, like, good. You know what I mean? Good. Yeah. We're like that guy who brought the the Bible down from the mountain or whatever. Super Freak. What's his name?
1: Yeah. Uh, The Book of Eli guy? Denzel Washington. Yeah, there it is. There it is. All right. We're going in. All right, David. So what is your history with The Raid 2? You seen this one before? You seen it? I seen it. Uh, This is my third time seeing it. Oh, wow. Uh,
0: I'm a braggart, if nothing else. I saw this one. uh, The first time I saw this was on video, uh, about a year after it came out. This was one like when the Raid, when Raid Redemption came out, the first iteration of this series, it felt similarly hyped to Raid 2. And when I saw Raid Redemption, I felt underwhelmed and I felt like a lot of that was my fault because I had built up the expectations. So I wasn't in a hurry to see this one. I was just kind of like, all right, I'll see it when I see it. And then found it at the video store, uh, took it home, liked it a lot. And then the second time I saw it about a year and a half ago, I loved it.
1: And now watching it, I love it a lot. That's my history with RAID 2. So I had not seen RAID 1, I had not seen RAID 2. Not only did I know very little about this movie, I actually knew the wrong stuff. Like, cause the director Gareth Edwards is not who directed this. That's who did Monsters, Godzilla, and Rogue One. This is Gareth Evans, which I did not realize those were separate people. I was like, Gareth E, I'm done listening. But also cause there's RAID 2, you're like, oh, should we watch Raid 1 first? Like, no, movies need to be able to stand on their own. Unless it, if it was called like Raid Part 2 or Raid Chapter 2, I was like, all right, maybe we're doing a disservice. But you know what? It's its own thing. Let's watch it. I just was really hoping I was not going to be as confused as I was when I watched Aladdin 2, Return of Jafar, right? Uh, who's Jafar? Where has he been? And where's Robin Williams? He's not the voice of genie. I don't know what's going on. Oh, golly. Yeah, of course. I knew so little about this movie. I had to look up Indonesia on a map. Oh Mac, so David, read us, give us the back of the box synopsis, if you will. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's a good place to start. All right, from the back of the box. What box you got there? What what are you what are you watching this thing on? This is um
0: this is actually a playset. This is the Lego Prison Yard Edition playset, and so it came with a copy of the raid too. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Look, it even comes with a little packet. I got a little packet of dirt, a little packet of water. Mix those up, and you got uh, mud for the prison fight. Following immediately after the events of the raid, Rama, Iko Uais. Is forced to reinvent himself as an undercover cop in order to provide protection for his wife and child. Working for the anti corruption task force led by the one person he could trust, Bunawar, he is given a mission to engage himself as an enforcer for a local mob boss, Bangoon. Finding a way in through Bangoon Sanucho, Rama must hunt for information linking Bangoon with police force corruption. All the while he harbors a dangerous and personal vendetta for revenge and justice that threatens to consume him and bring both this mission and the organized crime syndicates crashing down. 2014, 150 minutes, directed by Gareth Evans, rated R for sequences of strong bloody violence, sexuality, and language. Do you think we covered that? Do you think this this how did this uh, how did this back of the box do?
1: I give this one a B plus, maybe A like maybe A minus. Mm-hmm. He harbors a dangerous and personal vendetta for revenge and justice that threatens to consume him. I didn't get that. That seems a back burner
0: issue really. Uh, And it seems uh, you're spending a lot of the uh, back of the box real estate on something that doesn't quite matter that much. How does this movie begin? This movie starts beautifully. It is uh, a field somewhere in Indonesia. It's uh, you know, rolling grass, really pretty. And we're introduced to this mystery man and his mystery crew, and he is essentially disposing of of a body. He's, a, you know, he's sort of, he's got this guy down on his knees, got a gun to his head, he's telling the mistakes he's making. He's sort of, you know, laying out his plans for the rest of the movie, uh, which is really exciting because we have no idea who he is. Like, and I'll tell you this, even having seen The Raid, even knowing that going in, who we later, this uh, character, who we later find out is Bejo, uh, played by Alex Abad. He does not appear. He does not factor at all into the first raid. So watching this movie for the first time, it's completely okay to not know what the hell is going on, which is fine by
1: me. We're supposed to recognize the dude is about to be assassinated, right? Because Bejo is standing in front of an open grave. There's a dude on his knees. I'm like, uh, is this guy from raid one? I don't fucking know. And he is. He was, is Andy. And we find out is our hero Rama's brother. Uh, which at the time I didn't know that, and they're they're throwing around a lot of names at this, and I just was like, oh, man, am I supposed to keep track of this? Already, honestly, a little confused, but yeah, I, you know, because it started out with this wide long shot of cars slowly pulling up to an open grave, I, I dug that creepy tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bejo talks for a while. He's obviously very evil because even though he's not like twirling a mustache evil, he's kind of dressed like that. He's got a walking
0: stick. That's that's good shorthand for anything. Like, man, somebody comes in with a walking stick, I know they're like they're either bad news or they're good news. He's really laying it out
1: there. And then uh that dude Andy gets shot in the head. And as soon as that, uh, you hear the, the crack of the gunshot, we cut to the opening titles raid two. That was right here, right out of the
0: gate. I know we had, a, I know you had yours last week with the rock, uh, with the opening titles. This was my first mark out moment. Bejo establishes himself really, really quickly as this sort of this bad dude to follow throughout the movie. I thought it was kind of a, a nasty way that he killed Andy. You know, the credits come right at you. I, I was, I was very into this.
1: Yeah, it definitely sets a tone that this movie is a uh, gun in for your head, literally and figuratively. This just because our second podcast, we'll go over it again. We're going to talk about our mark-out moments throughout the show. Those are moments where our enthusiasm meter is like, uh, you know, tip the scales or whatever. Did that metaphor work? I feel like I uh, combined a little but You get it? It's the things that move the needle. It's the things that tip the scales. I'm with you 100%. It's a, mo- it's a part of a movie where you get so excited that you start chanting the name of the movie. When those credits hit, like, Ray 2, you're like, Ray 2, Ray 2. You're into it. So from there, we go
0: to essentially what is the very end of Raid Redemption, and we meet Rama, played by uh, Iko Uwais, uh fresh from the Raid in the Raid, and uh, he's meeting with, um, I guess, one of his police superiors. Uh, it's going to be uh, Bunawar, uh, played by Coke uh, Simbara, and Bunawar is essentially, you know, kind of debriefing him after the Raid. In the Raid, I'm going to keep saying that, I do apologize. Uh, and he's like, you did a really good job. Uh, I want to recruit you for the super secret anti-police corruption task force. This movie wastes no time. It's like, look, the the first movie was the first movie. This is the second movie. And we're joining it in
1: progress. And I, and I enjoyed that a heck of a lot. I do appreciate that the back of the box said following immediately after the events. Because I remember whenever I watched uh, Quantum of Solace, three or whatever, four years after um, Casino Royale came out. And it took place like five minutes after the end of Casino Royale. I was like, I didn't just rewatch the movie. What the fuck is going on? I don't know who all these characters are. I get that they just finished up some sort of incursion, some sort of invasion, some sort of surprise attack. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But Bunoir is like, hey, this one guy's hurt. Get him out of here. Go get him treated. This other dude, though, fucking shoot him. And so Bunoir, part of his like anti-corruption squad, they murder this corrupt cop, right? They don't Try to, you know, send him to jail. They murder him. Yeah, it's the dude sitting right next to Rama, the dude who just, like, helped him get out of the raid in the raid. Uh, And he's, <laughs> Benoit just shoots him dead. And he's like, uh, yeah, look, we could try him, but that shit doesn't work. Plus, that guy was going to die. Come work for me. And Rama's like, uh, no. <laughs> what? You're bad. This is, like, uh, Duterte shit, man. <laughs> I'm not doing this. I'm out. But by the way, all these scenes are intercut with uh, flash forwards of him uh, in a jail cell. So uh, he's not totally... Also, the movie's called Raid (laughs) 2. Anyway, Rama finds out later on that, yep, that was his brother that gets killed. Andy, he's dead. Bunwar, this is after his brother's funeral. He's telling us in a car and he's like, look, they know somebody, you know, fucking uh, helped out with that first raid. And they, if they find out it's you, man, they're gonna come for you, and they're gonna come for your wife and kids. So you better get on board. Pretty much looks like Ram at that point is like, oh, fine, I'll be in the raid too.
0: You know, like I said, this movie doesn't really waste a lot of time. Uh, Bounaouar is like, look, are you in or are you out? It's very basic stakes. You're in trouble. I don't care. Your wife and uh, kids are in trouble. Okay, now I care. And it's so it's so flimsy. There was a moment where I was like, okay, I like Bounaouar. Mostly just because of his bucket hat, really. Oh my God, this hat! It's embarrassing. That, has, that hat is so much of a choice that I don't want to lose faith in a guy who makes the choice to wear a bucket hat. Like I had so much emotionally invested tied into Boonawar
1: because of his stupid fucking bucket hat that
0: I had so much emotional, uh, so much emotionally
1: riding on it. Here's the thing, David. If it was a normal like uh, bucket hat, that'd be one thing, or like a Panama hat, or whatever you want to call it. But imagine uh, Gilligan, his kind of hat. Imagine it was like uh, soaking wet. And just to to the point where it's pretty much just a bonnet. Take it off, man. It just just, did not have any sort of form to it anymore. I will say that I was still about 85% confused uh, up to this point. I did have to go back and rewatch this scene to be like, oh, okay. His wife and kid uh, were at risk because in the next scene, he pretty much is like, peace out, wife, peace out, family. (laughs) And you see that, I guess, I don't know if it's his dad or his father-in-law. He's like, I'll be gone for a couple months and uh, I can't tell you where I'm going and take care of our little baby. And then there's a shot of the old man holding a little baby. And the little baby's so cute. It was a very cute baby. Very cute baby. Uh, you know, only see his little baby but, But yeah, he's like, uh, I guess I'm out of here. So yeah.
0: So then uh, Rama's,
1: Rama becomes Yuda,
0: and who gets dropped into the prison system. The plan is to drop him in for three months, just a few months, get him close to Ucho who's going to be Bangoon's son. Yeah, you've Uh, seen The Departed. The only way to get this guy some cred is give him some time inside, right? Exactly. Like, you know, you see that you're watching this movie and immediately you're like, okay, this is either The Departed or Face Off or both. And that's really all you need to know. And that's really, the movie doesn't like, the movie's not trying to be its own thing. It just ends up being its own thing with creativity and stuff like that. It's a very basic paint by numbers kind of setup. And it just, it runs with it in its own way.
1: David, did you know that The Departed was actually Based on a Japanese movie, I did. Called Infernal My Affairs. Neighbor Totoro. What? No, I'm sorry. What is this now? My Neighbor Totoro. Infernal Affairs. No, David. Come on. Matt Damon finds a magical tree where there's
0: a forest spirit named Leonardo DiCaprio. My Neighbor Roll was never for me, so I'm just. Not, I was
1: never going to watch so it. What are you? Were you, were you talking movies what have you been doing? So yeah, he's got to go into prison, get his uh, get a street cred. But here's the thing: the way he does that is they're like. Like, well, what am I gonna be arrested for? And he's like, you gotta actually beat up uh, this politician's kid, and the politician is uh, Ucho hates him, so Ucho will love the fact that you beat up this kid. Do we see him beat up the kid? No, it's only discussed, which I guess is like, I guess that was a choice, right, from the filmmaker. They're like, well, you know, if we see the fact that uh, Rama's just, you know. Beating the shit out of this innocent guy. Maybe we won't like him as much. It felt a little weird, like,
0: oh, we're not gonna see that. I think it was because if you read the novelization of the Raid 2, the kid is a kid. The kid's like seven years old, and Rama just beats the tar out of him. It is something else.
1: Wow, that's crazy. But we also we also see a scene where Boonwar is like, yep, all the guards died, all of them. No one is left alive. And then, you know, they're Watching through that, like two way glass or one way glass, it's glassy you can look through. <laughs> Wait, that's glass, uh, right? Exactly. A two way mirror, perfect glass. Yeah, two way, whatever you want to say. There is police chief Reza, some sort of uh, <laughs> I say uppity guy, some sort of upper management <laughs> or upper echelon. He also is pretty up. <laughs> He's be honest. got a real stick up his ass, this guy. And, and Reza is like, there's something going on here. Like, so Bunwar was not totally blowing smoke up Rama's ass. Like, Reza is hunting for this, like you know, mysterious dude from, we'll just call it the raid one. Uh, After a bunch of cutting back and forth, we settle down. Rama is in a bathroom stall in in prison and that door's about to to pop open because here come a bunch of dudes. Do we know who these dudes are? These dudes are just hired goons, I think. I just assume like...
0: It's his first day in prison. This is what I imagine everybody's first day in prison is like. Like you start off in a toilet and you fight your way out from there. So I I really don't know and I don't think we're supposed to, honestly. And what did you think
1: about this bathroom fight,
0: David? Oh, this was another markout moment for me. It should really count as one overarching markout moment for me throughout the entire movie, throughout the entirety of uh, every fight scene that comes up, really, because this movie's so good at the anticipation of a fight like if you've ever been maybe not in a physical fight but like an altercation like an argument with a stranger or something and you kind of feel it escalating and you reach that point where you're like this conversation could either go sideways or we could get resolved and that sort of thing and so in those few moments you're very very tense and you're just like watching your words watching your actions that sort of thing this movie captures that perfectly before every single stinking fight like Rama's in the bathroom. These guys are pounding on the door so hard that the screws are coming out of the door. Whatever's going to happen next is going to be awesome.
1: See, David, I disagree because I had an altercation uh, earlier. Remember, I saw a big squirrel, and when I saw that squirrel, David, it I don't, and I knew that it could fuck me up if it, if it wanted to. I, I oddly felt at peace, right? Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like I felt the the syren- like you know, I'm what the condemned must feel looking at a guillotine. Well, no more decisions I got to make. You know what I mean. And I felt like Rama had that kind of piece. It's like, well, I'm going to take a beating. Let's get on with it. But yeah, Rama is sitting in the bathroom stall. at The goons, you know, be they affiliated with the politician or just a welcoming party. They do hammer on the door. The screws do pop off. And then we get a close-up on Rama's ear. And then the one screw hits the ground. And he, like, hears it. And I was like, well, hold on. was Rama supposed to have super hearing? Again, didn't see Raid 1. <laughs> That's a curious moment, for sure. I got super excited about this fight because it does start off, he just start wailing on dudes. I don't even know if I'd call this like an official set piece or not, because it's over pretty quickly. You know, and, and maybe this is kind of tempering our expectations of Rama, who, you know, I'm, I'm sure after watching the first movie, this guy survives some like, you know, uh, pretty stacked odds against him. And the idea that like, oh, no, he's not just gonna like cakewalk his way through this movie, the, the mob gets him pretty quick. I mean, he does... Kick a lot of their asses. Which David, look, we've all been part of an angry mob before, right? More times than I'd like to count. But the best part about being in a mob is like, look, we all do the crime, and then nobody gets hurt because there's so many of us. Not the case. And this, he's really like beating some dudes up. There's some fun stuff where he traps a guy over the stall door and you know, hits him right in the nuts. But yeah, it's over pretty quick. I was, I couldn't get myself to a mark out moment.
0: You know, Mac, I, I, I had a question for you. You know, uh, speaking of like the big mob and stuff like that, the guys in the back. You know, because it's it's a brawl that's probably a good 10, 12 guys deep. So you're probably like the 12th guy in the back, just swinging haymakers at really just the guy in front of you. If you're that guy, do you try to work your way
1: into the brawl to try to get to Rama? Or are you just happy in the back? Well, David, it depends on your, your mob style. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is I'm like, I'm in the back. I'm like, let's do it. Let's go. And then I'm just like, I'm never going forward, right? Until the coast is clear, so I'm like really amped up, and I'm acting like, "Oh no, you, you 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 go first. Like, and then once Rama goes down, that's when I go in to to beat him up. Now, something surprising, David, is uh, the next time we see Rama, he's not looking too bad for a dude who's beaten up by forty guys. Also, if this wasn't a uh, takes place in American prison, just based solely on movies uh, that I've seen, I've never been in a prison. Rama's dying, right? They're murdering him. I kind of wish that scene had continued on to the end of the fight, where they're like, "All right, fellas, you've had enough. Welcome to jail," you yeah, know, or something like that. Like, how did how did that scene? How do you dismount from a severe, like forty on one beating? How do you decide, like, oh, he's okay, guys, he's mildly hurt, he's mildly hurt. That's
0: enough. I, I'm with you. There's there's something to that. Yeah, it's it takes a bit of a leap of logic to figure out how that fight does end with people alive, but at the same time, there that is something that I like about this movie. This movie doesn't really like waste your time with stuff like that is just like look people want to see the fight they don't want to see the breakup of the fight you and me, you, myself and you excluded but we'll just show them the fight and then we'll just cut to uh, they're in the you know the communications room or whatever the heck you know the visitor center uh, a couple days later and he looks just fine
1: and then we see rama he's uh, he's doing a little bit of one-on, one-on-one training no he's just training by himself in his prison room but again prison room cell pretty roomy though by the way
0: it's not too bad. And I don't see a roommate in sight. So if he's just got the place to himself, time to kick back.
1: Yeah, and he's doing some training. He's drawn a picture of a person on a wall and he's like hitting the wall so hard that the wall's like coming apart. Guards can't love that. But, you know, Rama, he's a badass. He does what he wants.
0: My, my favorite part about this is that, you know, he drew a little silhouette on the wall and he's using it, you know, headshots, gut shots, that sort of thing. Pop, 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 pop. This uh, silhouette is curiously small. Uh, it makes me wonder... If the novelization does refer to a seven-year-old that gets uh, beaten down mercilessly.
1: He loves beating up kids. Uh, That's not actually true. (laughs) (laughs) Those are jokes. Okay. So then uh, Rama goes to lunch in the lunchroom uh, where we meet Ucho for the first time, a handsome dude. And he's like, don't you know who I am, Rama? And Rama's like, no, should I? And he's like, oh, you will one day, my idiot friend. You should work for me. And he's like, I don't want to do that because he's playing hard to get David. But then uh, later on, we're in the prison visitor area. Yes. Yeah. And Ucho is talking to Eka. Eka's like his dad's, uh, some soldier and his dad's uh, in Bengoons gang, or Bengoon's Gangoon as I'm going to call it. Uh, Ucho's like, hey, find out about that dude uh, Rama for me. Or not Rama, Yuda, because that's his, that's his undercover name. And he's like, oh, he beat up uh, the son of that politician you hate. And Ucho's like, oh, really? And then Rama meets uh, with this guy. I was real confused by this scene. This guy sits down, Rama's like, "Who the fuck are you?" And he's like, "I'm Johnny." And he's like, "Okay, why? Who's Johnny?" And he's like, "Don't worry about it. I just gave you some cred just by being here." So I guess Johnny's some badass thug, and the fact that like Johnny met with uh, Yuda secretly, Rama, all the other prisoners be like, "Oh shit, Yuta knows this guy." Okay, okay, and then I guess they're on board with it. But however, Johnny also really works for Punawar and he drops a bombshell on Rama.
0: Yeah, he tells him. Apparently, uh, Rama did too good of a number on uh, the politician's kid, and the politician was out for blood. He was like, "Throw the book at him, uh, give him the maximum sentence." So uh, instead of being in prison for three months, Rama is now in prison for five years. And Mac, that is my nightmare. The idea of get, going to prison by itself uh, mm-hmm. is no good. If if I'm being if I'm going undercover, and someone's
1: like, "You just got to do it for three months," I can maybe. Fake it till I make it, because that is what Rama told his wife. Exactly, yeah. He's like, it's only going to be for a couple months. I'm just going to get in, get out.
0: Yeah, buy those tickets. We'll go to that show when I get back. Uh, but now he's being told five years, and man, I would, I would start scratching the walls at that point. That is no fun.
1: At this point, I'm thinking, oh, I guess the plot of this movie is uh, he's going to get revenge on uh, Boudoir. correct? Because uh, <laughs> this dude fucked him over. But next, Rama has a an opportunity to prove his his worth to uh, Ucho because there is a prison yard fight, right? And these dudes are going to come kill Ucho. That's the point of the, the goons here that are attacking? Yes. Our our hero, I guess. So they go after Ucho. Uh, Ucho retaliates, Rama fights, and we have a big set piece here, yard fight. And again, I,
0: I mark out again, it's the anticipation of the fight. It's This movie earns your trust so quickly as, as far as like, you could feel the anticipation of the of the sequence getting set up. You know, they're all standing in a prison yard. They're all sort of like hanging out on the perimeter. It's raining Yeah, because it's, it's raining. Yeah, it's- and you
1: get the the feeling of like, oh, they were gonna go play a baseball or a, or a football or something like some other Italian sport. Yeah, and <laughs> but you can't because it got rained out. Right. Yeah.
0: So everybody's just like
1: and, and, pounding their
0: their uh fist into their mitts, like they're all sad, they can't play, their hats are turned sideways. Uh you see, you know, the hired goons coming in, uh filing in to sort of uh start this fight. And man, I was I was in it from the beginning.
1: So Rama, you know, he starts fighting, he's he's awesome. And at some point early on in the fight, they throw him into the mud. And there's something about the shot, it was an overhead shot of his body hitting the mud. And they look, they could have put a gym mat underneath him, you know what I mean? But something about it, it looked real enough to where I was like, oh, here we go. And then Rama starts fighting in the mud. Some guy comes after him and Rama breaks his leg. He breaks his leg like imagine you're you're holding the arm of an empty long sleeve T-shirt and you just like go nuts with that sleeve. That's kind of like what he did. That guy's leg. I fucking marked out. That was my first mark out full on mark out moment of the movie i was like oh hell yeah raid two here we go
0: this movie the brutality in this movie and the way they shot this movie like i don't want to elevate this movie to you know more than it is but god damn it there is something really masterful the way they'll cut right as a head's getting exploded so that you start you kind of picture it in your head and you see just enough to picture it in your head but you don't have to see the whole thing uh it's fantastic there was another uh another moment the perimeter of the prison yard is kind of lined with this tile uh, planter. I guess <laughs> this guy hits his head, you know, kind of sideways on the planter sill, and that's another night. Like that's a very real nightmare of mine. I don't like going to like uh, snowy places because I'm afraid I'll slip and hit my head on a, on a windowsill or something. So good on you, Raid Two, for really knowing how to how to get me where it hurts.
1: So it's these two gangs fighting, right? Ucho's boys versus whoever these other guys are. I guess we're supposed to believe they are. Um are they the Japanese gang trying to take him down? At this point in the movie, we're not necessarily supposed to know who these dudes are. But because Ucho is like a gangster prince, taking him down would make a name for anybody. So, you know, people would try to do it. Uh, then the guards get involved. They start fighting. One of the guards does a pretty hardcore, like WWE style takedown of somebody. <laughs> I mean, the different guard gets killed. He gets stabbed in the throat. The guards also have a sniper who takes out some people, but they still, even, okay. If this was, again, an American prison movie, one guard dies it's open season on all these prisoners, right? The fucking just like, oh, uh, guard is now dead. You you know permission, license to kill for everybody, but they don't really do that. It still kind of is like, all right, just beat him, but don't kill him. The gangster prince Ucho, uh, he's fighting off some dudes. He's got some moves, right? He even tricks this one guy. This one attacker is like coming after him with some sort of shank. And Ucho, like, throws another guy in their path. So the attacker stab, accidentally stabs his friend, right? We've all done it. But then he stabs his friend three <laughs> times. I think after stab one, you know you didn't stab Ucho. That's your friend. Stab, maybe the forward momentum takes you into stab two, David. But no way you don't to do stab three unless you're just like, I like stabbing.
0: No, it's, you know what, That credit to Ucho for knowing, like, how to humiliate somebody. Where it's, it's not bad enough that, like, you know... You strike out, but you strike out on like a really bad pitch. Uh-huh. Not only did I make you stab your friend, I made you stab him three times, you moron. That's that's a
1: masterstroke. That's got to, I mean, when they watch the tape later, oh, he's going to be so embarrassed. <laughs> this is a great fight scene. It also includes at least one awesome like single edit, or excuse me, single shot, no edit take, you know, kind of bouncing around this muddy yard fight. And it it, it I think it's really well done because you, you really get a sense of the chaos that would Exist within a, a or a prison riot, and of the fact that it's like in the mud, it really feels chaotic. But the action stays really clear. I feel like everything's really easy to follow. A really great scene.
0: Yeah, no, I, I it's it, it does a really good job of like you never feel lost. Like you feel you know sufficiently chaotic. You feel like you're in the middle of this thing. You don't know your way out of it, but you never feel like it's too overwhelming. I I, I thought it was just it's really awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean this movie does it's comes out uh, what 2014. So this is a post. Jason Bourne movie you know what I mean because those I feel like that quick cutting like super quick I feel like that started or really kind of reached its zenith and maybe that first or second Jason Bourne movie uh where it's just like I can't (laughs) uh something's happening but this thing is great and at the end you know Rama saves Ucho's life and Ucho notices and then boom two years later we jump ahead
0: two years later uh Rama's released from prison and in my mind I'm like, cool. Just like Max said, time to kill Bunawar. That's what the rest of this movie is going to be. But no. Uh Ucho's waiting there. Ucho's the only one uh, who thought to pick up Rama. And so he's like, "Hey, you know you don't, uh you know my dad wants to pay you back for keeping an eye on me and keeping me safe. So I'm going to take you to meet uh Bangoon. I'm going to take you to meet my father."
1: And we cut to a meeting of the bosses. Bangoon talking to Goto, the Japanese boss. And first of all, couple reasons why I can't be an organized crime. Number one, the smoking. God, everyone's, sm- I couldn't take it. You know what I mean? You can't develop a, a love for cigar. Ah, I just, It's just too much. I can't do it anymore. I can't do the smoking. Two, they're seated so far away from each other. And yet uh, they don't have to yell just because they have awesome gangster voices. They're so deep and penetrating. I don't know. I just, I don't have that kind of clarion call in, in my throat. I would just be like, what? I can't hear you or something. <laughs> At some point, Bangoon says, like, hey, uh, but don't worry about it. Go to responds with, I, who said I was worried? Look, we've all had that kind of opportunity before where somebody is like, uh, hey, are you going to pick up those paper towels? It's like, oh, yeah, I'll get them tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Like, I wasn't worried. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That opportunity is there all the time to do that to someone. But you don't really don't really take it because it's just paper towels. But he chooses the opportunity to dunk on them or be like, I, who said I was worried? And then uh, Bangoon says, "Eh, you know, no disrespect. Or it goes, with all due respect. And then Goto says, the respect is mutual, asshole. And you can tell, like, these dudes love each other. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) He's like, hey, get over here, you son of a bitch. And just like. Just that respect is mutual as, I love this fucking guy. Like, they are just, this is how they do business, right? They're gangsters, but they just keep it above the table. Yeah,
0: they really they really know how to sell the job. You know what? I was like, I was on uh, LinkedIn immediately. I was like, I want to be in organized crime.
1: Then uh, in comes Ucho with Rama, who's going by, of course, his alias, which is, again, I already fucking forgot it. <laughs> what is it? Uh, Yuda. Yuda, and he's like, this is Yuda. And benguin's like, yo, my son, he says he really stepped up for him in prison. Uh, we got to make sure you're not wearing a wire. Now here's the thing. When Rama left prison, he's like feeling around the track suit, I guess they gave him. Uh-huh. And, um, he finds a huge wire in there, like a huge recording device and he rips it out and throws it. But he's like, Oh, he's nervous. Cause he's like, Oh man, what if they hit some more wires on me? I don't know where they are. And so he makes him take off all his clothes and he strips, uh, completely naked Goon goes, search them. And I'm like, his cheeks? Like, I thought that's what he meant. <laughs> but no, Eka, who we met earlier, he means the clothes. And he looks at the clothes. He says, they're clean. He's like, burn them. We'll give you some new clothes. Great. He's like, all right, get out of here, you, you scamps. Uh, Don't fuck up. Ha-ha. And then we see on a reverse shot that this is all happening within view of Goon's secretary. That's right. Who's keeping it pretty professional. Because look, Rama's an attractive dude. Is in pretty good shape. Uh, I would have been using that opportunity to clean the glass at that point. Like, oh, uh, too many spots over here. I'm just bust up the Windex. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just turn into some horny cartoon wolf
0: whose eyes are pounding against the glass. Like, I don't know what that noise is.
1: Just fogging up. I just got <laughs> to defog this thing. Oh, my goodness. I need a new seat cover. Mine's soaked. Oh, right. Uh, but now they go to Eka shows uh, Rama, or sorry, y- Yuda. Yuda. His new apartment which is very nice and even has like a CD canister.
0: (laughs) Of all the top hits, apparently, because Ramo knew exactly where to go. He was like, I'll grab this one and this is going to be exactly what I want to hear.
1: I was even thinking at the time, it'd be nice if he had like a selection of DVDs for him just because he's like, like, look, I know you've been in prison for five years. Here's some hits you may have missed. So he pulls a CD out of the CD canister and he puts it on real loud.
0: Yeah, this drove me nuts because like Ucho's men drop him off. Rama's left to himself and the first thing he does is play music real loud you know so that he can uh, pull out his phone swap out the SIM cards call uh, Boonawar call his wife that sort of thing basically
1: the the loud music was like a defense countermeasure in case there's um, you know any like bugs inside the house
0: exactly yeah he's covering his sounds he's covering his his uh conversations stuff like that you gotta figure if you're the henchman, You've been trained in this, where like if you're standing out outside the door and it we're you're guarding this guy, you've we've only met today. If you hear loud music within the first like five minutes,
1: go ahead and go in. See, David, here's the problem. I think you're using your movie mind on this. Oh. Last time I bought a car, the first thing the car salesman wanted to show me when I got in the car was how loud the stereo could go. <laughs> That's honestly like they're like. Yeah, what do you think of the interior? Check out the, what do you listen to? I'm like, it just, I don't, like, check out. Like, there's, there's no loss. There's no loss this high up. It's crazy. And I'm like, can you please turn down the stereo? Honestly, like three car sales dudes did that to me. And do you know what year it was when I bought that car, David? 2014, the same year this movie came out. I think it's just a natural dude reaction. They're like, they see stereo. Let's see how, how uh, what you know how, how much we can crank it.
0: So something was in the zeitgeist that year. It was like the eardrum challenge or something. It's like, hey,
1: guys, blow out your ears. Yeah, 2014 was uh, the year of cranking it, I guess. In more ways than one, you know, (laughs) uh, jerking off, enjoying crank, which is, I I believe, some sort of uh, meth. But yeah, so he takes his phone, the one he was just given. He pops out the memory card. He pops in a new memory card, which he's been keeping in his mouth since when? Also, he didn't dry it off. He just like straight out of his mouth. And he sticks it in the phone and then he calls home, right? He calls home, which, you know, kind of drove me nuts in the moment
0: because you just got out of prison. You were worried about the wire. You ripped it out of your clothes. And the first thing you do is call home while the henchman's right outside the door. But again, I'm using I'm going to use the movie brain on this one. And I think it was kind of a brilliant sequence uh, because, you know, at some point we're going to have to check in on the wife and the kid. We're gonna to have to kind of, you know, for for Rama's sake, really, you know, and for our sake as if you were to know that they're okay, that sort of thing. If this was an American movie, if this was, you know, or a lesser quality movie, let's say, I this very easily could have ended up being the third act. Ah, you thought you were okay, Rama. Look who I found. And you know, and it's the wife and the kid, that sort of thing. Instead, we only get like, hey, I'm out of jail, I'm okay, I'll talk to you in a couple months. And that's all we get. And I was the more I thought about it, the more I was like, Good for you, movie. Good for, again, cutting the fat, the stuff we don't really want to hang out with.
1: I mean, I hear you. It it did feel a little, like, I don't know, unrealistic or something like that. Like, because I feel like if his wife, who, again, expecting to be back in a couple months, this dude calls five years later, she would be like, you know, Rama, what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? And you're just, like, freaking out. Instead, everything is, like, real calm and casual about it. I mean, again, yeah, I I didn't watch The Raid 2 to see, like, uh, a family being ripped apart. But also, you know, you you get the sense, like he says, like, how's my son doing? I don't want to talk to him. Just let me listen to him. I mean, if if you're Rama, he's not coming home tomorrow. So maybe he's like, I don't want to hear my son. If I talk to him, I'll, I'll, you know, it'll be too much. and I'll have to leave. So maybe he's just getting like a little taste just to like calm himself down. But yeah, he doesn't want to like get too much of that or else, you know, how's he going to do this this job of whatever he's got to do, which is, again... Police corruption, right? At this point, we're trying to find corrupt police officers.
0: Yeah, it's time to find the threat again now that he's out
1: of prison. Um, Which I I guess he's been in prison for five years. So the last five years, Benoit has been like, oh, well, (laughs) uh, police corruption, uh, it it gets a five-year head start.
0: (laughs) I've checked in on your wife. She's getting her back blown out by some new guy. So uh, stick
1: on that police corruption. So now Rama, he's in Bengoon's Gangoon, right? Now he's got to do some Gangoon work.
0: That's right. And his first job is uh, he's going to escort Ucho to shake down this, uh, uh smut peddler a fellow by the name of Topan played by Epi Kusandar, uh, Kusnandar, excuse me. I don't
1: think you even need that guy's name. Cause who gives a shit
0: about him? I'll tell you who does. I do. I thought his performance, you know, it's, it's real brief. It's maybe, you know, a couple scenes long, but he plays such a slime. So well, I was so captivated by him that I was like, I actually, it's funny you say that. I was like, I need to make it a point to say his, to say the actor's name, because I really, it was one of the two or three performances in the movie that I was like, I really gravitated towards. So there you
1: go. That's weird. Cause he's just so, he's, he's very creepy,
0: but it's, but again, that's sort of the, you know, going back to the, the subs and dubs thing. And like, you sort of lose a lot of the, uh, a lot of the movie in translation, you kind of need to rely on the, a lot of the nonverbal acting and his nonverbal acting is so fucking good. So I, I I'm going to give him a little bit of credit for that. Uh, but this is Topon and, uh, He's he's running, uh, you know, uh, a bootleg place. They bootleg CDs and DVDs. And now they're also selling a a little bit of drugs on the side.
1: Because at first you're like, yeah, what are they doing here? You know, because you see them like putting discs into CD jewel cases. Uh, I was like, oh, wait, I can hear some moaning on the audio track here. Oh, they're dubbing porn. And then you look at the iconography of the CDs and it has like the sort of like simple illustrations you'd see on a bathroom door to indicate like man or woman. They have some of those on the DVDs. Then you see like a, a picture of like two women, and then there's one where the icon of a woman, and then the icon of a back of a horse. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. You know, at the beginning of the scene, they're showing you know the racks of of DVD players or you know CD burners that sort of thing. And there was a moment where I'm like, oh, this is very quaint and very cute. They still think that people can make a lot of money off of uh, bootlegging. Like, how much money are they making? And then you see this like, this topless lady walk in. Wearing a strap on and I was like, okay, message received. They're making money elsewhere.
1: You know, Topan gives uh, Ucho his, you know, his protection payment or whatever. Or whatever he he's doing. I don't know, just his taste of illegal illegal money.
0: It's it's kind of the take.
1: Yeah, there you go. It's his thick envelope. And Ucho's like, This is a little light because I know you've been selling drugs. He's like, What and he's like, Yeah, no, 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 no. Look, it's fine, it's cool, we know all about it. You just need to give us your fucking our fucking take, right? And so the porn dudes at this point are like, hmm, should we pay this guy a little bit more? No, fuck it, nuclear option, let's fight to the death. Which, real quick, do you even get a number out of him? I, it was a very low number. It was like,
0: where's my five grand? And like, you know, look, hey, five grand to me is a lot of money. But if you're dealing in smut, you could probably
1: pull together five grand just to keep guns off your back. What kind of stress is Topan under the fact that he was like, you've no more (laughs) just (laughs) he gave his guy like the the slow like look or whatever and he's like yeah slowly reach for that shotgun we have under this glass table (laughs) and Rama, looking through glass using his superpower to see through clear glass he could tell that a gun is about to come out so rama starts fighting here we go action set piece smut factory fight this is probably a lesser
0: fight when it, when it's all said and done yeah. as far as like the entire movie goes. It's pretty quick. It's a real beatdown, honestly. A uh, very fun fight. Uh, but nothing st- the only thing that stuck out to me is when uh, uh trying to flee the fight, trying to flee getting his ass kicked or whatever, jumps on a table, is running down the table, and then just decides to literally jump sideways through a window to escape the room. And I was like, man, again – what is Topan going through? What are, what are the decisions he's making in his life to lead to to everything I'm seeing now?
1: I mean, yeah, is the audience like, look, we've seen woman and horse so many times. Topan give us something new, but you know, maybe they're the kind of fickle audience where it's like, don't change it too much. You know what I mean? And Topon's like, there's no pleasing you horse fuckers. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he jumps sideways. The camera kind of falls. There's some fun camera stuff in this scene. And then Rama tracks down Topan and really beats the shit out of him. Now, Here's the thing about Topan. He's small. When we first see Topan, I thought he was a child. He also is old, which, okay, I guess I thought he was an old child. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But <laughs> Rama really beats the shit out of this very small, older man. The fight doesn't last very long, and I guess we're kind of like, I guess good for Rama. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you proved yourself. Thank <laughs> Congratulations.
1: But Ucho drops a big duffel bag full of cash on the desk of his dad, Bangoon, who is very impressed. Great, this will send a great message or whatever. He seems... You know, pretty happy with how things went down, which is weird because a lot of Bangoon Gangoon members died in that fight. It was a whole lot for a whole little. Like, you know, because then you have to explain to your dad,
0: well, yeah, we lost uh, five lieutenants, but hey, five grand more to keep that horse fucking operation
1: going. But is that operation even going to keep going? I mean, it's like, is that. I didn't see the horse die. Okay. I don't know if is going to regain consciousness after his head got billiard balled around.
0: Yeah, so uh, so Ucho comes to deliver the money and which by the way, quick sidebar, the bag that he delivers the money in. It's like this plush leather bag. If the movie had stopped real briefly and been like you know, a little pop up ad that told me where to buy this bag,
1: I would have done it. It's Do you think he had that bag, or do you think on the way home he's like, My dad's gonna be pissed, let's so stop at the leather bag store? I think so. I think he he felt so good about it. He was like, I'm gonna treat myself to the little coach. That could have that would have been a great DVD extra right there. You know what I mean? Just like them. Shoving money in various bags and being like, "Nah, this is not." It's like a try. It's a
0: trying on hats montage, but with putting money in bags. I I, I like that. So so Ucho delivering the bag, you know, delivering the money, and he's like, "So okay, maybe I'm I'm due for a little more stuff." And Bangu literally puts his hand up, and is like, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, slow down! Like you're not ready for that yet." And he kind of you know keeps kicking the can down the road with Ucho, like he doesn't really believe in him enough to give him you know more responsibility or more authority, anything like that. And this is kind of the moment where, where we see that Ucho isn't quite living up to expectations in Bangoon's eyes.
1: Cut to Ucho singing his sorrows away, or at least listening to someone else sing their sorrows away in a karaoke bar, because you cannot have an Asian crime movie without karaoke. Prove me wrong. I have not <laughs> seen one yet. That is not offensive. Go to the tape. We are proven right every single time. Memories of murder in there. Only God forgives. Yes. Oh, but make no mistake, everyone. Just in case you start to feel a little bit sad for Ucho, Ucho sucks. He fucking sucks. Because he's super shitty and abusive to uh, one of the hostesses there at this karaoke bar. And he's, you know, just a fucking monster. And he's like, don't you know who I am? And she's like, what are you, a debt collector? And he gets super pissed off about this. Honestly, because, yeah, he kind of is just a debt collector. Uh, Rama cools things down. The women leave. Ucho goes to take a phone call. But then... Rama takes this opportunity to stick a wire in Ucho's wallet.
0: Yeah, so he, you know, when he gets out of prison, he rips off this little tracking device or wire what it whatever it is. It looks like a watch battery with some with some wires sticking out of it. But uh he ripped it out of his clothing and held on to it. See, I thought he threw it into the ground. I thought so too. I thought so too. So does he have a second ripped up wire for Okay, that aside. Um one, if it's just this like it's essentially a transmitter, I guess, if it's just a battery and wires. Would that even work at this point? You know, ripped out, not ripped out? I don't know. So that's kind of throwing me for a loop.
1: You know what? Later on, he does, uh when Ucho meets Bejo for the first time, Rama has some other surveillance equipment. So maybe he made a stop, I guess, at a surveillance okay.
0: store. The spy exchange, I got you. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. But then that's all, that doesn't take away from the point that like Rama slips this, you know, transmitter into Ucho's wallet. Not like you know, a bag or anything like that, not a pocket of a coat into his wallet. Like, how do you not notice a big old lump in your wallet? Like, I like, is, does Ucho just have this love of hard candy that Rama decided to capitalize on? He's like, ah, he'll never notice this lump in his wallet.
1: Yeah, I also thought about this later on because he, he pulls out his wallet, he finds the wire. Because David is right, it's about like three quarters taped together. So even though he treats these women like shit, the uh, manager at the karaoke place is like, hey, it's on the house, Ucho. Maybe Ucho doesn't pay for anything. You know what I mean? Like maybe Ucho never opens his wallet or anything like that. But still, princess in the P, you'd feel that fucking thing in your wallet unless he's got a lot of like got know, warehouse music gift cards he never used. We've all been there. You know what I mean? To warehouse music, absolutely. That's why I've got all those gift
0: cards. So we we wrap up that that scene. Rama plants the wire. By the way, I just want to comment on the uh, compliment the wallpaper in the hallway. It was really beautiful. The the some of the shots in this movie are really really great.
1: Somebody who is listening to this in a car who is like forced to listen to this podcast. Somebody that one person's ears just pricked up and was like, "Oh, is it?" You got to talk more about wallpaper. Nope, that's it. Uh, no, because we're moving on to meet Prakoso. Uh,
0: Prakoso is played by Yayan Ruhian. Uh, but yeah, uh, Koso is uh, an assassin hired on the sly by uh, Bangoon to kill some rivals. And so meeting Koso. Uh, it's really just, we're introduced to him on the, in the middle of a mission and uh, he immediately becomes one of my favorite characters in the movie for no real reason other than just, he just wrecks shop.
1: Yeah. I didn't get this fucking scene at all. Cause we don't even know his name. It's just like, Oh, who, who's Indonesian Alan Moore over here? Some dudes kind of like, Hey, we're having a good time. Koso, he's got like a, uh, like a machete at this point and he just mows them all down. He, here's the thing. He beats up like eight dudes without even using the machete. He just holds it. But he never uses it, which is, saves it for the final guy, who he stabs right in through the stomach. He like well,
0: that's the thing. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because he, you know, he gets the final guy. Which, by the way, you know, sidebar to that, I thought that was really neat the way he didn't use the machete because the more you know, you know, once you notice it after about the third or fourth guy, then you start keeping count, and then it gets more impressive how many guys he offs without using the machete. But then he offs the final guy, machete through the through the gut, you know, or through the heart. Uh, so much so that it like makes a hole in the wall behind him. Koso pulls out the machete, the guy falls to the ground and Koso kind of looks through the hole. And I, again, I was really happy for this movie or I was really you know glad to be watching this movie and that it wasn't like an American production because if it was, there absolutely would have been something stupid on the other side of that hole. Like a guy eating an ice cream cone and it falls off the cone or something like that. It was like, you just kill him. That's all I want out of a movie. Just fucking kill the
1: guy. And I was very happy they did. See, I was watching it again on Pluto TV, that streaming platform with commercials. So as soon as he looked through the hole, it cut through a minions commercial. Cut two minions. And so I thought he was looking at the minions. I was I was laughing. I was rolling. Oh man, I just couldn't. And I was like, oh, it's just an ad or whatever. There's the
0: movie right there.
1: So there was a quick shot uh before Koso gets go sick ass on their asses of him getting in a like a I don't know a piece of paper or something slipped to him by bangoon wearing sunglasses undercover (laughs) so you do get the idea like okay he's carrying out bangoon's wishes but i don't know who this dude is i don't really know who he's killing we spend a lot of time on him i mean so i was like i guess this guy's gonna be important later i mean right now i don't know why i should care other than i guess they're just giving him a scene to tell us whoever this dude is is a badass
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. We're like, I mean, because by this point, we're already an hour into the movie, I think. And we're still being introduced to new characters who don't really play that integral of a role, you know, in the in the case of Koso. The fact that they're like, look, we're going to introduce you to this guy. He's going to have about 10 minutes of screen time. Here's a really awesome fight with him. And then we'll promise you another really awesome fight later. And I was kind of, you know, if you're going to introduce characters like that, you know, at least start with a bang and with a bang. I'm totally fine with it.
1: I was not fine with it. I kind of was like, geez, why, who is this guy? Where the fuck is Beijo? We saw him in the opening credits. Where is he? My uh, impatience was answered because we immediately get taken to a meeting between Ucho and Beijo. Uh, and, you know, he's like, well, maybe you can um, do something for me, uh, Ucho, that your father can't. And Ucho's like, well, I don't know about that. And he's like, well, I have a gift for you. It's uh, some of those gang members that came after you in that muddy yard fight. Yeah, well, they are released for prison. And I picked them up. Here they are. I was excited to see Bejo back. I think I might have said out loud, hey, it's that dude from the beginning of the
0: movie. <laughs> Finally, resolution. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, this is the first time we actually, you know, meet Bejo, talk to Bejo. Uh, really rocking like a modern Dr. Strangelove look. Uh, again, it's that walking stick. I'm a sucker for a good walking stick. And like leather gloves, sunglasses, moi. I'm really into it.
1: Yeah, and they're meeting in a very large, very um, stylish room. At this point, you're like, "Oh, is this like a nightclub or something?" We don't really know. Ucho goes over to kill the prisoners, but that's not even like the point of the scene. They're kind of doing like a uh, like a West Wing style walk and talk.
0: It's a little bit of yeah, uh, not quite an exposition dump, but they are definitely laying the groundwork for for their plan for the rest of the movie. And, you know, again, I I, I really appreciate how this, this movie doesn't quite waste scenes. You know, this very easily could have been a walk and talker. this very easily could have been, you know, sitting around a dinner table and just kind of the static scene. But the fact that we're just like casually slitting throats while we're going over this plan, I was like, you know what? You, you got my interest and you're holding on to it like you have earned every single
1: moment of this. However, this scene really stretched my um, I don't know, suspension of disbelief or whatever you want to call it. They're killing dudes in the middle of this restaurant. They're slitting their throats. There's no tarp or anything down. This is carpeted. It's not tile. And yet he's slitting throats, David. That's so much blood. He's just like pouring out on the Sopranos would never do this, right? They'd be like, don't disrespect the pizzeria. You know what I mean? Like so they're it just is there like a cleanup crew that's like, oh great, this place, here we go again. Ucho is doing this in his suit. He slits, what, four or five throats. He leaves not a drop of blood on him. Uh, so are we supposed to believe that Ucho is some sort of like master throat slitter? He is not.
0: And especially, it's just like an X-Acto knife. It's not, you know, I know the name says exacto, but that can't be a very
1: efficient killing weapon, I don't think. Yeah, you can't, there's not enough distance between um, the cuff of your white dress shirt and neck. There's not enough clearance there with that scalpel he gives him. Uh, when he's slitting the throat of the final dude, he notices he's got a tattoo on him. And I, at this point, I'm like, oh, am I supposed to know what that tattoo is? I don't, maybe, who knows. But the camera, we spend a second on it. So I guess we're supposed to keep it in our brains. Uh Cut to Indonesian and Koso, the weird uh, vagrant assassin, on a date?
0: He's, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh Maybe I don't like Koso so much after all. Because we, we get him in this an, another puzzling scene where he's with this lady who we finally pieced together is like his ex wife. He has no business being at this table with her. She's a very stunning I I wish I remember the name of the actress.
1: She's so much hotter than him and dressed so professionally. He looks like if you were like calling up a a Vietnam, homeless Vietnam veteran from Central Casting, that is what he looks like. And so I was like, oh, this is like must be his mob handler or something. And when she's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You never you never visit. You can't visit our son. I was like, what? And and that's
0: (laughs) this was of all the moments in this movie of this brutal, bloody movie. This was the first time I thought, I wonder if this assassin has some kind of sickness. I wonder if there's something that just like makes him a killing machine. If he's, you know, turning down this piece at home just to go out and kill. Maybe there's
1: something wrong with this guy. Like there's something not right with me, Mac. I don't think. Well, she says you're stupid to, <laughs> to so She's like, you're real dumb, real mean to this guy. And, and again, why do we care? I assumed at this point, this guy must have been in Raid 1. I did some research after the fact. The actor is, but he was playing a different character. Wow. I mean, I guess, because uh, he played Mad Dog. and Again, I haven't seen it. I just looked it up on IMDb. But apparently, he's a different guy. So we, we met this dude. We know he's a badass. And now we know he's uh he's troubled, right? Because he can't, his wife, his ex won't let him see his kid because he's an assassin.
0: Yeah, I feel like this character is supposed to represent a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, you know, there's a sequence coming up where, well, I'll just, we'll just get to it. So Ucho and Bejo decide to have uh, Koso killed and make it look like a break in the gang truce. You know, they meet, uh, Ucho uh, invites Koso out to a club. So Ucho is going to have Koso killed in this club. And in that moment, you're supposed to feel like, okay, Ucho's getting rid of the old guard, the older generation, that sort of thing. Koso's watching his life slip by. And I think that's why we're, we're we're building that character in the previous scenes. But it really does, you know, by the time you get, you know, by the time you step back and see, all right, the sequence of Ko, you know, the lifespan of Koso in this movie is only a few minutes. It, it does kind of feel like a waste. But goddammit, I really did like these fights.
1: Yeah, it's another set piece. Club fight. Ucho is trying to sell this whole thing as a setup. Where it's like, oh, they set up Koso because Koso does get killed. He takes out like 30 dudes and then he gets killed by this guy. I guess we saw him very briefly in the beginning of the movie with Bejo in that, uh, that opening scene. Uh, you know, only by looking it up again, I find out this character's name is The Assassin. Great, great job, guys. Great job with this name. <laughs> uh, the Assassin uh, easily kills Koso. Ucho, when he, when we see him, he's talking to his dad next. He's like, no, they set up our boy, our beloved man, Koso. And it's like, is it a set? He's like, we need to retaliate. And it's like, I think you did retaliate. Koso took out 40 guys. Like, you won that one. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, let's just call everything fair and walk away from all of it. There's no, there's no more escalating this thing.
1: Yeah, if I stole a dollar from you and then I... It's was like, aha, in order to mark my crime, I'll leave $100 as my <laughs> calling card. It's not more of those crimes, please, right? If this is war, let the Japanese gang keep fighting, because we're winning. Let it never be right. Yeah, and uh, Ben-Gung, the dad, is like, the fuck are you? Just fucking fuck off. Ucho's super frustrated. He calls Beijo. Beijo picks up after one ring, like, bring, world championship headquarters, and he... He's waiting by his evil phone, ready to do evil because Bejo is evil. Now, we've seen like five scenes here. Where the fuck is Rama? Rama was during Bejo and Ucho's initial meeting. We do see him like surveilling a little bit. But yeah, we spent a lot of time on Koso and now he's dead. Is there, I just, I feel like the movie's losing a little bit of steam for me here. However, things are about to pick up because Ucho decides to, he's like, oh, are we a go on uh, setting up a fake gang war to oust your dad? And Ucho's like, yeah, let's do it. And so they escalate this pretend gang war by uh, enlisting some of uh, Bejo's uh, level boss thugs.
0: Yeah, I love I love a good mini boss. And this movie's got uh, two of them. It's got uh, Batman and Hammer Girl. Uh, Batman, because he carries a baseball bat.
1: Baseball Batman is how he's credited, David. Okay,
0: I don't want people thinking it's the actual Batman. Uh, yeah, no, Baseball Batman, he carries a baseball bat around. Uh, Hammer Girl carries a couple hammers around. I love novelty assassins. I love kill- novelty killings in movies. Uh, So to see them, it it was, um, you know, I immediately kind of sat up and was like, here we go. This is going to be something fun too.
1: Yeah. Baseball Batman, Hammer Girl, they both go after different groups of, I guess they're both supposed to be Gotos men. And Rama also gets attacked by some people. Here we have like a, I I don't know if this, it's kind of the actions happening in three different locations. I don't know if you could call it one set piece, but we're going to, it's thug fights everywhere. Uh, yeah, no, this
0: was another markout moment for me. You know, when, when you first see Baseball Batman and Hammer Girl uh, in the train getting ready to dispatch a lot of Godos men, I, you know, I was super into it. That was, that was a lot of fun.
1: I also love a good novelty assassin. They're great, especially the fact they're like using, you know, different weapons, like an aluminum bat or two hammers. I definitely got excited. But then very quickly, my excitement kind of, you know, plateaued early because here's the problem with a lot of these fights is they end up kind of. Sort of just very like one-on-one video game fights, right? I'm fighting six dudes, and so how it's gonna happen is just one dude will come up and I'll beat him up. The next dude comes up, there's like you know, and you know they don't really. There's not a lot of use of the environment either. Like a hammer girl uh, beats up the Japanese guys on a train. She's not like swinging. It's not like the uh, fighting uh, shang chi.
0: You're using the studio space.
1: You're banging them off seats. You're banging them off you know the handrails that kind of. I'm with you. Yeah. However. And so I was like, man, I don't know if I'm too excited. I wanted to I wanted to be super excited about it, and then I was not. But then, however, uh, baseball batman pulls out an actual baseball to assassinate <laughs> some dudes. <laughs> then I marked out. That got me there. I was like, hell yeah, Raid 2, Raid 2. This is awesome. And he uses a baseball bat, or excuse me, baseball. He knocks in, and hits one guy in the head, and then he knocks over the other guy, just like in the chest, I think. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, give me back my baseball, which I got to say, it, it's interesting because – Both these characters had like a real horror movie feel to them. For sure. For sure. Because they were both dressed down and the way that their weapons were being used, it seemed more like, I don't know, action fighting. It just seemed more like straight up like slaughter. Rama, we see him fighting some people off. He fights in a restaurant. He uses his environment a little bit more and he cooks one of his assassins' face on like a binihana teppanyaki table or whatever. But then he notices the dude he cooked. It's a cop. Corrupt cops are coming after him. What? I guess, <laughs>
0: again, you know, like, and I'll say this, you know, you, you've you been a real trooper making it this far through the movie, uh, this is your first watch, uh, this is my third time watching it, like I've said, it still hasn't clicked into place f- for me, uh, like, the cops involvement, I mean, I know they're, you know, they're basically uh, Reza's troops at this point, uh, and they're sort of acting out his will, but like, it kind of, it, it, it snuck up on me in a, in a way that I didn't really care, care for as a viewer.
1: Yeah, I didn't really know at that point, because in Rama, who takes, you know, a, a pretty good beating. He calls uh Boudoir after this and he's like what the fuck cops are after me. And we don't know if they are corrupt cops from uh Reza or if they're cops on like Bejo's payroll or what or if they're just cops. Rama is pissed. However, we did in those scenes learn that, you know, that we get two new assassins and they're fucking badass. So there we go. I just I feel like those because there wasn't a whole lot of variation in their, you know, the fights. I feel like they could have been a tad shorter, but you know what, whatever. I'm still I'm still loving it. I do like the Novelty Assassins quite a bit. They now have a meeting between gangs, right? Goto and Bangun are talking in front of their mob mediator. And of course, we met Goto and Bangoon earlier, right? He's like, uh, respect is mutual asshole. These dudes, they don't want to fight. Bangoon is like, look, uh, this is my mistake on my crew. Uh, we'll do whatever it is to make it right. Ucho starts to talk shit, and he shuts down Ucho, and he's like, shut the fuck up. And then he's like, don't worry, we're all good. They bow uh, you know, as they leave. Then we cut back to Ben Goon's office, and he's had it with Ucho, and he's beating the shit out of him. And he's like, you've ruined everything. We're going to have to give up so much territory. You fucked us all up. Everything was, I made it for you. You've destroyed everything. You're a piece of shit. David, we've all seen action movies before where people take, and I'm thinking of the Fast and Furious ones are really bad at this, where characters take a tremendous beating, and yet there's not a scratch on them. This movie... Their makeup artist definitely will like. No, if somebody gets cut in the face, you're gonna see it. Or if somebody gets beaten in the face, you're gonna see it. It's not swelling though, or blood. It's there. It's a real bruise. Happy makeup department. He's got a he's got a real
0: strawberry going on. Like if you ever like if you ever played little league and taken like a, a grounder to the chest or anything like that, and it's just that little that red welt that your uh, that it becomes over the next few days. That his face becomes that immediately, and it, it's so well done. I'm just like I'm looking at it for the rest of the scene, just like wow, they really slapped the crap out of that guy.
1: <laughs> so Ucho, right, he's taking a beating, but you don't really see it. He goes down, he pops back up. And then, yeah, it's like, whoa, do you just, are you allergic to strawberries? Because you have a, you have a, a very, like, very rashy right now. But it, it is intense. Like you said, it was like kind of gross. So then meanwhile,
0: uh Rama's calling Bunoir. He's like, I want out. I was chased by cops. I don't, I'm in over my head. I don't know what's going on. And Bunoir is just clutching that bucket hat going, please, we're so close. You just got to stick it out. And like, at what point are you just like, fuck you, Bunoir. You're keeping stuff from me. You don't really feel like you're in charge of anything. I was in prison for two goddamn years because you forgot to carry the one somewhere. Like, I I, I would have a real hard time being employee of the month at this point. Something else about the, the scene where he's talking with Bunoir. Of all the things we've seen, of all the fights, of all the kills, of all the snapping legs, of all the you know headshots and everything like that, one of the most visceral reactions I had in this movie is watching Rama take pain pills with no water. Like just the thought of like, oh god, what if those get stuck in his throat? He's be you know it's gonna be irritating all day. This, that he's a real man in my eyes if he can swallow those pain pills just fistfuls at a time.
1: Yeah, I hear you. That's almost as bad as when people like crunch up Tylenol in their mouth just is the fucking worst david you ever had bc powder that like headache medicine i had once no thank you yeah (laughs) it's just like hey let me throw some desert sand in your mouth hot desert (laughs) sand it gets you that dry after rama raw dogs those pills he gets a call from echo remember him and he's like you got to get down here get ucho out of here because his dad's beating him up now something we glossed over is that echo was the guy that showed rama his new apartment and he was like, "Hey." Good luck in this criminal organization. I just went, I'm rooting for you. Me and you came from the same place. We're from the same place. Just throwing that out there. So then we we see um, Banggood's headquarters, but uh-oh, in comes an uninvited guest. It's Bejo, except he was invited by Ucho. And Banggood is like, what the fuck is going on? Ucho kills his own dad, Banggood. And then he tries to kill Eka, and he shoots him in the knee is what it looked like to me. Right, yeah, uh, near the thigh, somewhere around there. But like, he incapacitates
0: his leg a little bit.
1: And Eka's like, how could you do this or something? And then uh, Bejo steps up. He takes the gun out of Ucho's hands and he's going to kill Eka. But bing, elevator door opens and there's Rama. Oh, shit. He goes wide eyed because he did not expect to be walking into this. He does like a really awesome, like kind of a punch and a hop over someone else, knocks the gun out of the hand. And then like he does some quick fighting, but then he instantly faces the assassin, the guy that took out Koso, who we know is a badass. And I got like real excited real fast because I was like, this is going to be a great fight. Um, But also interesting because Rama opens his eyes. He sees the scene. Why didn't he just take off? Because who cares if Ekka gets shot, right? Why would Rama care about anything happening here? He doesn't care about Bangoon. He's not like, I like this dude. So it's just interesting that he reacts. And maybe you're like, Okay, well, he's a good guy. He reacts, but I think he feels something about Eka here.
0: I, I yeah, I, I think the the line by Eka earlier on, on in the movie is supposed to resonate more with us by this point, but it doesn't. It does. You're right. It is a little curious. I think I just sort of dismissed it as he's a cop. He needs to hold on to as many witnesses as he can, so that you know he can turn snitch on them or whatever. Yeah, it was a curious choice, but it it ends up paying off because uh, the the chase is on after that.
1: Yeah, and David, normally I'm very slow to picking up on movie twists i'm still watching that youtube video daily explaining the prestige and i'll never get it but in this case i for some reason i was like what's going on with eka something's up with eka however uh so i was getting super pumped up for this fight between the assassin and rama but nah i mean rama's really hurt when the assassin kicks his ass real fast and they're like dispose of him and i don't know what happened to eka but next time we see him he's behind the wheel of a car how did he get out of there I think he
0: was able to kind of make his getaway. I think Rama bought him enough time to escape, and then Ekka was escaping I was like, no, I should go back and save Rama. That's that's the way I pieced it together. So Rama's in the backseat of this
1: car. In theory, they're going to take him somewhere and kill him. I don't know. I don't know where. They couldn't They couldn't just kill him right then and there? They had to take him somewhere? I guess. I guess they got to take him somewhere. Ekka, who is in another car who's following them, he crashes his car into the car containing Rama, which is all the distraction Rama needs to start fighting. We got another set piece here, car fight.
0: This chase rules, this entire thing. It's an extended car fight. It's an extended escape. The uh, the up-close fighting, the, the fighting that goes on in a car is great. The stunt driving is awesome. Kind of going back to um, the last episode with The Rock and, and sort of we were feeling this like underwhelmed by the car chase there. Uh, I think I kind of put my finger on it with this one where in The Rock it's not going anywhere like you know the action is hey we've got to save the people on Alcatraz we've got to you know just defuse these bombs and that car chase just served to take us off of that road you know it went to a side mission real quick this one is hey man get out of here or you're going to die and I think you know all you need are just very simple stakes but you definitely need stakes or you need a reason to get out of there and that's all you need and it, it worked really well for me
1: yeah, I agree. I think it's because it doesn't really feel like a car chase so much as it does feel like a car fight. Like you said, they're not trying to go somewhere. They're trying to kill each other. But yeah, the fact that Ekka is now coming to save Rama, why? What is Ekka doing? Again, I'm like watching. It's like, what's going on with Ekka? There's some really cool, like fun camera stuff in this. At some point when, you know, Rama's inside a car, like fighting, bip, 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 like all these dudes inside the car, they switch to an overhead shot, kind of like an impossible shot because it sort of like peels back the roof of the car. I didn't mind it though. I loved it. At some point, like a dude, Eka tricks, you know, this car is trying to crash into Eka's car. And Eka's like, skirt, psych. And he moves, so the car crashes into some sort of like a uh, traffic barrier. And the car hits the traffic barrier and then the driver instantly flies through the window. And I rewound it to watch it again because clearly they've rigged some sort of dummy when the car hits to go through the window but not leave the car. And so he just perfectly like explodes like a whack-a-mole, like only so far out of the car. I thought it was great. There's also one really cool transition edit here, or whatever you want to call it, where we start inside the car where Rama's fighting some people. And then, you know, the camera leaves the car and then goes to Eka's car and then through Eka's car into another one. These cars are like moving. This is like a live shot, right? I don't know exactly how they did it, but there's definitely the passenger front seat in Eka's car is CGI. It's a CGI (laughs) seat. So I don't know if you take out, the computer animated seat. If there's like a dude there, like a green suit with like little ping pong balls, like moving a camera or pretending to be a seat, I don't know. But the fact that this shot had a fucking CGI seat, I thought that was really funny. You didn't
0: see uh, you didn't see Andy Circus in the credits. <laughs> yeah. Andy Circus <Serkis> was <laughs> like, I'm a seat in <laughs> it,
1: uh, <laughs> I'll sit here, yeah, a seat here, brev. Um, because <laughs> that's how Andy Circus talks, but I guess Bejo, like he anticipated that there might be some sort of uh road war because there's like a lot of cars (laughs) like in his employ there including a dude on a motorcycle shows up right and he's got an uzi and a motorcycle helmet and he just looks super cool blows through his uzi clip instantly and he's like trying to switch you know to a new clip eka meanwhile is like changing clips with his mouth uh guess he's a badass who fucking knew at some point, he grabs the motorcycle guy, puts the gun right in his face, and empties the clip into his helmet. Just like, it's real gratuitous, but I thought it was awesome. Mark out moment for me. I thought that was there fucking great. Nice. But I was, at this point, with Eka such a badass, I was like, okay, he's an undercover cop. He has to be, right? Because there's no way. Eka, this like character we haven't talked about this whole time, because who gives a shit is now suddenly like a super warrior fighting for Rama. What's going on? The good guys get away. And then we cut to uh, Goto, the Japanese boss, he and his men are talking, and or we could do it like a room where they're all in the room. One of his men is on the phone, and he's like, "Huh? Okay. Hey, boss, you'll never believe it. Uh, apparently," and he just kind of was like sums up what just happened. God, I would have liked to have seen that, that entire phone call. Like, <laughs> hello, what, what? Ucho did what? And then there was a car chase. What? No. But oh man, no. Yeah. <laughs> but the guy's face wasn't just like. Boss, I'm hearing the craziest story right now. His face was just more like, "Wow, that was nuts." And Goto's like, "Well, guess what? If that's how it's going down, we're going to war."
0: Yeah, Goto. You know, he picks up really quickly on on what's going down because for me, you know, as well as Goto, my limit, my you know, my kind of go to war limit is when I hear that someone killed their own father. And it's like, oh, this guy's bananas. Uh, this guy's probably going to come after me. Uh, so GOTUS is like, fuck this. We're killing everybody. We're going after uh, Ucho. We're going after the bangoon family. We're going after Reza. Anybody else that's around who wants to get fucked up, we'll go after you too. And he he's taking it to the he's going to the mattresses on this one. And uh, this is kind of exciting.
1: Yeah, and then we cut to I I meant to look up where this place was because it's basically like ruins. Looks like a completely abandoned part of the city. I guess this was filmed uh, during a hospital strike or something like that because I can see no explanation for why they didn't drive Eka, who's really hurt, to a hospital.
0: I, I, I think at this point, the, the town has just sort of devolved into chaos. This is sort of like the second, or the midpoint of Dark Knight Rises and everything's just
1: kind of gone to shit. But you know, sometimes it's like, no, don't go to the hospital. He's got men there. What we know about Bejo is he's kind of a lower level player. You know, the world at large does not know that Bangoon He, you know, he was killed like 25 minutes ago or whatever. So you got to think that he'd be safe in a hospital, but whatever. They don't go. Eka's like, you know, I'm a cop. When I said that thing about I came from the same place, I'm also a cop. And I got to tell you, this whole undercover thing, this whole crime, police, corrupt cops, whatever, this thing sucks. There's no getting out. Okay, you're trapped. The only way to get out is you got to kill everybody, which is convenient for us, the audience, because if we're wondering like, man, why doesn't Rama just get the fuck out of there? Echo's like, no, audience. He, he needs to kill everyone. You're like, oh, okay. Eka, I guess he would know.
0: And you would think at this point, Echo would be like, hey, are you in touch with B- Bunoir? Uh, Could you maybe put in a word for me and let him know that I'd like to be extracted any day now? But I, I know they explained it. At, you know, at some point they kind of, uh, you know, dismissed it a little bit. But at the same time, like, he is still an undercover cop, and he would like to go home now, please.
1: Yeah, and I think he calls Bunoir, and he's like, why didn't you tell me about Echo? And Boonwar is like, he's a, a traitor. He cost us like the lives of his intel cost the lives of 10 honest policemen, which now it's like, I don't know who to believe. Right, David? I'm topsy turvy. Yeah, you know, I'm all spun around. So you know what? I'm
0: on Team Rama. You want to you want to go destroy all animals? Uh, let's go do it. So, uh, yeah, this is the part where Rama kind of takes over. He, you know, he uh, decides to raid essentially the meeting place where Uko, Bejo and Razor are plotting. Here it is. It's the raid, David. The titular raid. We made it, everybody. Yeah, so like he starts through, I guess, the the architecture on this restaurant clubhouse is a little perplexing.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that in depth. We'll talk about it a little later. But yeah, he starts at the loading dock, which based on the shelves, all they're loading is empty water bottles.
0: Yeah, it really looks like the end of Ikea, where you just sort of collect the things right before you go to the register. Uh, what it has to do with a restaurant, I have no idea, uh, but it sure is a nice place to kick some ass.
1: Yeah, which Rama does. He kicks the ass of like a whole bunch of dudes. This fight scene, besides the fact that like he's just getting these dudes out of the way so we can get to the the, the main assassins. Camera was like a little too shaky here. It kind of bothered me watching it. And the fact that, yeah, the, the set dressing was just like empty water cooler jugs. I was like, did you guys only have like a day to film this or something? It just didn't <laughs> it didn't feel as uh hold up to the standards of the rest of the movie. But then we take a quick trip inside the restaurant where Bejo is having dinner with Reza, police chief corrupt police commissioner, whatever Reza. We find out that Reza sucks. <laughs> we find this out, oh yeah, Ucho's in the bathroom splashing some cold water on his face. He's a dick to a bathroom attendant who's handing him a full thing of paper towels. <laughs> and he gets out his wallet to give him a tip, which, by the way, David, you know that he was going to take out that dollar bill or whatever he was going to tip him. crumple it, throw it on the ground. You know that was going oh, right on the rip ground. it in half, of course, yeah. That's when he discovers this hockey puck of a bug, <laughs> a listening device. Then when he, uh, Ucho sits back down, uh, Bejo and Reza are like, you know, asking about some percentages or something. Reza looks over at Ucho and he's like, hey, sidekick, you sure are talkative. <laughs> I was like, God damn it expertly done screenwriter and director <laughs> gareth evans because those people that bust people's balls instantly without knowing them or t- just like that's their first instinct is like hey you piece of shit i'm gonna shit on you <laughs> you like it right those people turbo suck david uh, apparently word travels slow because <laughs> one of Bejo's thugs comes up and he goes hey uh rama escaped from the car and also he's here which that Those pieces of information happened hours apart. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> and also, he's killing you right now. I'm so sorry. I'm a little bit late.
1: So Bejo's like, hey, uh, mini bosses, go get him!" And bats and hammers are on the attack. So here we go. I'm going to say we're still in this kind of like final raid set piece. But here we go, level two, Rama versus bats and hammers. David, what would you think of this scene?
0: Very satisfying. Um, you know, this this movie does a very like... A very effective job in the same way that like wrestling does an effective job of of pushing uh, talent that they want, you know, to get heat. Uh, so by the time we get to the mini boss fight with Bats and Hammers, I already Bats and Hammers already have a reputation in my mind. And I'm like, OK, they kick ass. This is going to be tough. And it delivered. It, it, you know, it, it's a hallway fight. It's close quarters. The the choreography is fantastic. It's, it's a really excellent fight. I was going to say, uh, my markout moment. I had another one in this one. Uh, after the end, of, you know, uh, the fight goes on. Uh, Rama wins, spoiler alert, <laughs> for this fight where he wins at the end of the movie. And he uses Baseball Batman's uh, bat against him, smacks him in the face. And his, Baseball Batman's face is so bloody that the bat sticks to his face. And I was I was pretty much spent at that point. I'm like, all right, let's wrap this movie up. I, I'm, I'm out of energy for this movie.
1: Baseball Batman's body, like, drops to the ground the bat is stuck in his face the whole time i did not quite mark out there but i did go mm-hmm. like i did nod <laughs> at the movie i appreciated it and it was gross uh but yeah it was a great fight and then finally we get to the third set piece here or third part of the set piece where rama enters the kitchen where he sees the assassin and as he enters the kitchen the kitchen staff looks they see rama they look at the assassin and they walk out let's talk about this fucking restaurant at first, when we see this thing, I don't know is this is a restaurant, right? It's just a very cavernous room. I'm thinking it's like a, a nightclub or something. You know, but there's nobody in it because it's like, I'm guessing after hours or whatever. And then uh, later on when when Rama enters, you know, for this this final, his, his raid, the guy just goes like, oh, Rama's on his way up. I was like, okay. So wherever this restaurant is, uh, it's upstairs and below it is a giant loading dock. And Rama doesn't get up to that level very quickly. He takes his time. So it's probably kind of high up in this this building. And then that hallway there, he fights uh, bats and hammers. This kind of winding hallway leads to nothing. Uh, Who's eating outside? It's just Reza and Bejo and maybe Ucho. And he had full kitchen stuff. David, I I think what the problem is, is this restaurant sucks. (laughs) I think so. I don't think this restaurant is closed for crime. I think this restaurant is open. I I think that just people are like, look... I went there last night. I was the only one in there. There was so much, so many blood stains on the ground. They never clean up. There's all this crime happening. Like the fact that the the wait the kitchen staff like looked at the two guys and they was like fuck it and they all left. This couldn't have been the only time this happens, right? Yeah, this
0: feels like uh, kind of like a Hank Scorpio situation from The Simpsons, where it's just like the staff doesn't you know they they are aware that they work in a restaurant of like a crime boss and they're aware that their shoes are gonna stick on the carpet from all the blood. But they just, it's business as usual. It's like,
1: oh, okay, another fight, time to roll out. Yeah, it's kind of like a realistic take on the double deuce from Roadhouse, where it's like, no one would go there. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus Christ, people are dying. But we have here, this is the title fight, right? This is the assassin. Rama does not know, but the assassin killed his brother. He was the man to pull the trigger. The assassin also took out Koso. The assassin also easily beat up Rama the first time we saw him. And he's got these cool, like, uh, krombut. like sort of these curved little knife, knife. Sickles? Yeah, kind of hand sickles or whatever. And yeah, this fight is awesome. At first, they're just like grappling. Then the assassin pulls out his crombits and he cuts Rama's like ACL. And I was like, oh shit, that's gonna slow him down. It sure doesn't, but until it does. Then like a couple of kicks later, he's like, hey, I feel it. <laughs> also during this fight, uh, more of those like red rashy bruises, especially the assassin, it's really gross. Uh, Rama, I mean, at this point, you know, he's not, it looks like the assassin kind of has the upper hand, right? I think what happens is once the assassin pulls out his weapons, he starts going for kill shots, right? You know, he's just like, wants to, this fight to be over in one punch. Rama, however, is doing like the dirty work. He keeps, keep, he keeps fighting. Uh, the music swells. Rama goes into game six mode. Yup, I mark out again, mark out moment. Rama takes this dude out. Yeah, it was great.
0: And you know, like going into it, You know, we've already fought Baseball Batman. We've already fought uh, Hammer Girl. You have to hope the assassin's death, or at least the fight, is going to be satisfying. And you're kind of like, oh, how are they going to make it work? But when Rama just fillets the assassin, just like uses the crumbits against him here, there, and everywhere, it was pretty goddamn great. This movie gets all the flowers for me for building and delivering.
1: Yeah, awesome fight. Uh, now we cut back to the dining room. Ramos here, motherfuckers! And he instantly like walks in and he takes that that uh, sickle weapon and he hooks this thug's cheek. It's real fucking gross. Ucho, by the way, earlier saw the same tattoo. The guy whose throat he slit earlier in the movie, the guy who tried to attack him in prison, who had that tattoo that the camera wanted us to notice. He saw that same tattoo on Bejo's wrist. He also found that bug. I Ucho thinks that. Bejo's a fucking he's setting him up so as soon as uh rama enters there's like some chaos ucho takes a shotgun kills reza Bejo is a shitty shot and he can't really fucking hit rama but he he does hit him once but then ucho kills Bejo. uh he shoots him with a shotgun Bejo's throat fucking explodes and then he shoots him again in the head and his head explodes which is fucking gross. I mean, it was a real lunch loser of a shot. I, we might even need a new category. Do we need gross out moments? Because it, it hit it. It was a total gum.
0: Oh, you mean when uh, when his head opened up and it looked like the lungs of like somebody who smoked a long time? When you, when you see like the school presentations, like this ashy, like disgusting lung. Yeah, his head ends up looking like that. I think we might need a category for something like that.
1: Yeah, it was pretty gross. Ucho tries to kill Rama. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Rama gets the upper hand. He kills Ucho. Everyone is
0: dead. But we're starting to wrap up. Rama goes back the way he came. Uh, he's exiting through the loading dock right as Goto's men show up. They're, they're too late. Uh, well, hold all on, these who's guys... in
1: the loading dock, though? Who do we see, like, lying on the ground? <laughs>
0: that's, uh, thank you. I forgot all about this. One of my favorite parts of the movie is when Rama's heading back down through the loading dock. It's still everybody he who's ass he kicked. They're not dead. They've been writhing in pain, like, cartoonishly, like, uh, rolling around. Uh, and that's so... Easily a good 15, 20 minutes that they've just been sitting there moaning and writhing. Uh, so I do like that quite a bit. I
1: mean, it's a little realistic. I've definitely done some ill-advised workouts. And then later I was just like, oh, all right, I'm going to get up in five minutes. Ah, I got to get up five minutes. But also there wasn't a gang of thugs waiting to kill me. That would have been a little <laughs> bit more motivating. But yeah, these guys were like, well, this
0: really hurts. But, then, but so Godo's men showed up they are uh they're a little late to the party they wanted to join the fight the fight's completely over um so we get kind of a, a wordless scene uh there's some music playing we don't hear what's what's being exchanged but essentially uh Godo's men offer Rama a job uh it, it seems very clear uh but Rama's done he's walking away uh he his mission is complete
1: yeah Rama says he's done music hits credits I'm pumped If I saw this movie in theaters, I would have been doing donuts in my Honda CRV after the show because that is the movie and this movie ruled. David, we had a lot of mark out moments. How many did you count for yourself?
0: My total ended up being six. It's a soft eight, but I'll go a hard six. Uh, Yeah, all the way through. I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. How How many do you think you had there, Mac?
1: I marked out four times. Yeah, I think my favorite action scene was probably the yard fight. That muddy yard fight. It just, uh, I think it was really well. I mean, that car chase or car fight was really well done as well. But something about that, I think when I think about this movie like a year from now, I'll probably be thinking about that muddy, muddy prison yard fight.
0: Same. I, th- I think that's kind of the trademark piece of the movie. Uh, that car car escape, dynamite, really dynamite. Um, but that, that prison yard fight, something else. David, now we ask the question, is this someone's favorite movie? It has to be. It absolutely, if I can grow... To consider this one of my favorite movies, and again, you know, third time watching it, third time's a charm. A lot of stuff kind of click into place. If I can make it one of my favorite movies, sur- surely someone's going to cross the goal line with this and just say this is at the top of their personal mountain. I, I, I have to believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it has to. Especially like if you're an Indonesian action fan, right? And this movie came out of your home country. This has got to be your favorite movie. Hell yeah, absolutely. I mean, David, I'm in Austin, right? I mean, when I went to go see A Single Man, starring uh, Colin Firth, directed by Austin's own Tom Ford, you don't think I was in the theater like hooting as loud as I could, like "Go, tell me Uff!" <laughs> like, Tom, was... Tom Ford, Tom Ford, Tom Ford. Yeah. Oh man, everyone was right there with nocturnal animals. I was like more like knocked out of the park. Tom Ford, two for two. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is definitely someone's favorite movie because this movie is great. All right, David, time for some punch ups. Is there anything that you would change about this movie, punch it up a little bit to make this movie better?
0: Movie itself, no notes. However, the the presentation of this movie, if if an American distributor wanted to pick this up and sink like millions of dollars into some voice voice talent, like get some people who can really emote with their voice and and try to add another level to this movie, uh, to the presentation of this movie, that's kind of where I would go with it. What about you?
1: All that Koso stuff is like real bunched up in the middle. It kind of felt like, you know, um, expendable a little bit, kind of like goes to himself. I, you know, maybe he'd spread that out a little bit. My main notes though, with the final fight, I feel like there's two things that could have made it better. One, the fact that the assassin killed Rama's brother, he doesn't know that. It, they had fought previously, but I don't really give a sense that Rama gives a shit about that. So there, there was no like emotional war there. I know it wouldn't make sense, but maybe if. The assassin was like, I know who you are. I'm going to kill your wife and kids or something like that. Kind of what you're mentioning. Yeah, a little cheesy, but it definitely would have ratcheted up the emotion. You know, thinking about the Matrix, when he has that final fight with uh, Agent Smith, you know, it's like, oh, he's sick of running. You know, he just attacked his friend. There's a little bit more emotion there. But also, they're fighting in a kitchen use the environment a little bit more, right? Like he crashes through the door of like a glass wine room, which, sorry, Greg Popovich, that must've been hard for him to watch. (laughs) There's so many pots. I was just like, why are we in a kitchen if we're not? Smashing bottles over somebody's head? Yeah, just use the, like you could have had that same fight set in like a server room and nothing would have changed. I feel like in order to be like a truly great fight scene, it has to kind of take the environment into play. Or, you know, like it's, you know. If it's in a frozen tundra, then I guess there's nothing they can use. But I mean, they're in the kitchen. Uh, hits, hit each other with some pots and pans. I mean, let's hear a
0: comic uh, kabong come off of somebody's head once.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm a clown for suggesting <laughs> that. But that that is how my heart feels. I'm with you. All right, David. Let's go into the Punch Mountain Video Store. Uh, and of course, here it's an all-action video store. You know, we splurged, so we got three copies of this thing. What three different sections are you stocking this movie in?
0: Uh, I would. uh, You know what? Honestly, if I'm getting three copies, one's going under employee picks uh, if we're doing that. For the other two, international action that I would like to expand, uh, you know, the more titles we get, I'd like to actually, you know, go to individual countries or regions. David, you have all the titles. So if you want to say Indonesian action, I think you could put it. Indonesian action. Then then absolutely I will. I want to say like a WTF section, but that's too like, that's too off the wall. But this is kind of like. I want a section for the kind of action that's going to melt your head a little bit. Like this is really like, maybe like a, maybe put this behind a beaded curtain. Like the trip, you know, uh, not triple X cause that's an action movie in itself, but like hardcore action, man.
1: So you got, you have one in employee picks. Are you an employee of the video store? Am I not? I, I thought you, I, I don't know what your relationship to this thing.
0: I'm a, owner, um, empo- owner employee proprietor.
1: Okay. Then you have one in Indonesian action. And then you have one in the back, the, the premium reserved, mind-melting, hardcore action section. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, David, here's the most important question. As we gaze up at Punch Mountain and the name of this movie, we see it suddenly in the mountain reveal itself in gold letters as if it's uh, the writing on the Lord of the Rings ring. Except not in Elvish, it's in English. Where do we currently... F- now, keep in mind, we're still pretty early on in this podcast. This is only our second episode. We did two uh, seed reviews. So currently Punch Mountain, the top, Matrix, Base Camp, bottom, Chappie, and in the middle somewhere, The Rock. So where does this movie, where would you put it? For me, I'm putting it at the top of the mountain because while The
0: Matrix has something going for it in terms of like its relevance, in terms of the importance that it had on uh, pop culture and the importance that it had on movie making, uh, the importance that it had on the 90s, we're not Afi, We're not sight and sound. We're not here to judge the greatness of movies. We're here to judge uh, the amount of ass that a movie kicks. And I think The Raid 2 uh, kicks more ass than any movie on this list so far. So I would probably go top of the mountain.
1: I personally would put it below The Matrix because it, had a, it lacked a little emotional depth. Because, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the greatest action movie of all time is not just a collection of Jackie Chan's best scenes, right? Like, you know, I feel like the story of The Matrix carries a little bit more punch with the action. However, 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 that's how a wolf does a transition. <laughs> Speaking of, this movie's action was a lot better than the Matrix. I personally would put it below, but let's look up at the actual Punch Mountain. Oh my God, David, there it is at the top. Look at that. Wow. The Matrix moves, moves down a couple steps. It, it passes by a couple, the bodies of, of dead mountaineers. Enjoy your time in the gutter, The Matrix. Like it's second, it'll stay up toward the
0: top for a very long time.
1: But there you go. That's the that's the current mountain.
0: That's lovely. I, I'm I'm pleased to see it there. I, I'm curious to see what the audience thinks. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to the feedback on this one.
1: Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, I'm curious what the audience thinks, but also, of course, they have you know, there's your opinion and there's the mountain, <laughs> right, guy. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Tell it to the Marines, pal. The mountain is the mountain. Hey, let's do the call to action this episode. Because look, on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about fictional action heroes like our boy Rob, right? We also want to spend a little bit of time talking about real heroes that are taking real-world action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project works to free the innocent, prevent wrongful convictions, and create fair, compassionate, and equitable systems of justice for everyone. Their work is guided by science and grounded in anti-racism. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to The Innocence Project. Also, for every review we get on iTunes or Spotify, we'll probably add some more, what do you call those things, platforms in a minute, (laughs) but just those two for now. For every review we get, we'll add $1 to that donation. Uh, You know, up into a certain amount, of course, obviously, just in case any bots are out there wanting to bankrupt us. And hey, if it happens to be a good review, we'll probably read it on air, so maybe leave one. For more information about The Innocence Project or to donate directly to them, and go to InnocenceProject.org.
0: All right, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of another Punch Mountain. Uh, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain, or drop us a line at PunchMountain at gmail.com. Go to MacBlakeComedy.com for all things Mac Blake, including show dates. Next week, we're headed down to the bayous of Louisiana for some good old human hunting from 1993. Directed by John Woo, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, it's Hard Target. Mac, you looking forward to
1: that one? I am. I have a soft spot for Hard Target. Oh, I love it. Then we'll talk all about it. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.